Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Flight Through Entirety, the only Doctor Who podcast slightly more entertaining than spending four minutes knitting. I'm Nathan. I'm Brendan. I'm James. I'm Conrad. Well, it's Paul McGann's 54th birthday, and on BBC iPlayer, the final episode of his era has just dropped. So, who lives, who dies, and who is unexpectedly canonised? Let's answer these questions as we discuss the Day of the Doctor prequel, The Night of the Doctor. struggling to remember where I was and what was happening when I first watched this. And the big thing that I can't remember is, was I surprised by the Paul McGann reveal? I got a text from somebody. I was walking down the road and I just got a text saying, have you seen the Doctor Who thing? And I was like, "Uh, no. And he's like, go home now and watch it. Um, And when I saw it, um, Paul was on there. That was a shock, like a total shock. So yeah, no, no, no even whispers of it here, I don't think. What about you? Do you remember, James? Um, I think someone had ruined it for me. Um, <laughs> like, like had literally gone, oh, so um, that Paul McGann mini so I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> 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 it was supposed to be released the day before the anniversary and they brought it forward by more than a week, uh, I believe, because it was about to be leaked. Right, mm. right. And there was another mini-sode, like another prequel episode called The Last Day. The Last Day. Day, yeah. Which I did watch today and it's super forgettable. There's basically nothing to it. Are we going to do a podcast on that? No, no, there's <laughs> nothing there. We'd, we'd have been over by now, I think. So it's not very good. But I think this is actually pretty amazing for a, like a weird pre-publicity throwaway thing that's just going to end up as a DVD extra eventually. I kind of like to think of it as the pre-credits scene for Day of the Doctor. Oh, okay. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Nice. The funny thing is I don't remember watching it at home and I think where I actually watched it was um I was out visiting my parents and my brother must have just come up from Melbourne because we we were in my parents' car coming back from the airport and I think I saw a notification for it on Twitter. Right, and it was, and someone had retweeted it, just saying, "Watch this before you read the rest of Twitter." Basically, <laughs> right, right. And so I'm like, "Okay, I'll I'll just watch it in the car. I've got my headphones." And I I watched it and got to the moment of probably not the one you're expecting. Rewound it, leaned over to my brother, gave him a headphone, and said, "You have to watch this with me." <laughs> he was <now."> driving, <laughs> <laughs> and we watched it. And sort of, we got to the end of it, and he went, he went, oh, that was John Hurt at the end, and I'm, and I'm like, and I'm like, yes, that was your takeaway, yeah, yeah. Well, then, then he goes, who was the guy at the beginning? <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm uh, like, Paul McGann from the Doctor Who movie. Oh, he's looking good. 
I didn't have a moustache. No, not the, not Peter Cushing. The <laughs> 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 reanimated corpse of Peter Cushing, painted to look like Paul McGann. Yes, that's right. In in the novelisation of Day of the Doctor, Moffat makes it clear that it is actually Peter Cushing in Rogue One, who is a friend of the Doctor's, and the Doctor told Peter Cushing about his adventures, and they made a film of them, and then he picked up Peter Cushing and transported him into the future to star in a Star Wars film again. Uh, which I just okay, think is absolutely delightful. Oh, I think you're joking. No. no, no, seriously. Oh, I haven't read it. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Isn't it written like out of order? What he does. It's Moffat, everything's yeah, out of order. I mean, we might talk about this on tomorrow's episode. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but what he does is he narrates that scene in the tower with the three doctors in one room without resorting to any names for the doctors like he doesn't do the the doctor two thing that yeah. uh, Terence Dix does in the <laughs> in the three doctors novelization and he also tells that in chronological order in the order as they happen to the doctor so first from Tennant's point of view then ah. from Smith's point of view then from Hurt's point of view it's very very cleverly done mm. there's not that much scope for that sort of thing in this episode but there's some fun Moffat sitcom stuff I think some funny lines hmm. Yeah, like, how are we going to the back of the ship? Because the front crashes first. Think yeah. it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we uh, we watched it tonight back to back with Day of the Doctor before coming down for recording, and that got a big laugh from Rod. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure about McGann's delivery of the bring me some knitting line, but it is absolutely Moffaty, isn't it? And it is the sort of thing that we had before. I think the Doctor says something about boiling an egg when he's given 12 minutes to live in the Big Bang, doesn't he? Something like that. So it's the sort of thing that he's done before. And I think there's a Douglas Adams line somewhere in one of the Hitchhiker's books where someone has like 10 minutes to live and they're saying, oh, I can do, I can do loads of stuff. And the one that just sticks in my head is run half a bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the shooting script, they just call this a Doctor Who 50th anniversary prequel. But I think what's really going on here is this is a Brain of Morpheus sequel, and that's what I'm absolutely <laughs> here for. That's one of the most, that's what, that's equally to me as exciting as all the new stuff. It's like, oh my God, we're going back to Khan. Is, is, is there some like um, cultural critique in there as well? Because doesn't the Doctor say something along the lines of, Oh, this is the planet Khan. You're the sisterhood of Khan, sisterhood of utter boredom, or something. Yeah, the flame of utter boredom. Oh, like yeah. keepers of the flame of utter boredom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tom does say something fairly similar about how their immortality has caused them to stagnate, and it's the sort of source of all of their problems. But I think because this week. I mean, this episode and Day of the Doctor are all about bringing Gallifrey back and healing the big 16-year rift that we had in the show's history. And so Gallifrey comes back, but before it comes back, we get Khan again. Uh, Yes, and who would have guessed? It just wasn't on the list of things that we thought we would ever see again. 
it's kind of a pity, really, that um, the Children in Need special from 2005, a.k.a. Pudsy Cutaway, doesn't have the fan title officially, which was Born Again. Yeah. Because Russell T. Davies suggested, oh, that could be, because this could be Khan again. Yeah, Khan again. Nice. <laughs> I came up with, I was thinking similarly of what, like, what I might have called that, and I came up with... Um, the man with two brains of Morbius, or um, <laughs> or Sister Act Two, wishful drinking to steal oh. Carrie, to steal Carrie Fisher's Carrie Fisher's beautiful title for her autobiography. But uh, In, I mean, they are great. They're really, really superb. He does bring them back once more, but goodness me, they're good. Mm. Yeah, and I just I find it interesting that Moffat would not be the last. Doctor Who showrunner to go back to the well of the brain of Morbius to go, I want to reveal a heretofore unseen moment in Doctor Who's history yeah. with a hidden incarnation here, yeah. or, here or there. And it's kind of interesting that neither of those revelations are specifically about Gallifrey. They're about a place that's Gallifrey adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Gallifrey but magic. Yes, it is. It's Gallifrey but, but magic and Gallifrey but women as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's exactly the right choice. Mm. I think one of the things about this that strikes me about this episode is that the I think the choices he's made, the basic choices are really strong. Like you get the sense that Moffat knows this is important stuff. And this is where in a normal episode he would pull something new out. He'll just make, you know, he'll go a billion years in the future, there's some thing, and he just pulls some sort of jokey thing out of his bag. But to, he knows that this is the sort of what's at stake here. And I think the sisterhood of Khan is exactly the right choice. And this was a perfect excuse to go back and rewatch Brain of Morbius, which mm. I did the other day. <laughs> and it really struck me how much of that is exactly right. You know, and I did, I'd, I'd sort of forgotten, like, um, you know, the doctor sort of blithely says that Khan is like sort of virtually neighbouring. Gallifrey, mm. you know, it's, it's from my neck of the woods, pretty much, he says, you know, within a couple of billion years. And the key thing that um, the sisterhood say that the elixir, which I'd forgotten, that the elixir of life is is they shared it with the Time Lords on rare occasions when there was some sort of difficulty with regenerating a body. Mm. I'm like, well, that's what this is. You know, that's, yeah. mm. I think it's the right choice, I think. Yeah. And because it's the 50th anniversary, going back into the mythology, which is something that I normally hate, is absolutely the right thing to do. And because it's done so well, the woman they have, her, her name's Ohila, is she? Yeah, she's Ohila rather than yeah. Ohika. So yeah. Ohika was the one who was left alive. Morin! Yes. It probably is her, but she just forgot to spell. Oh, maybe she's got one of those signatures where it's a very hard <laughs> C or like an L. L. C or an L, I don't know. She's been signing autographs for so long now, it's just loose. She can't remember her name. Yeah. They just look. They just never get it right at Starbucks. So she's just like, "Fine, I'm Ohila now." <laughs> but I think she's tremendously good. She is yeah. terrific, yeah. and she absolutely deserves the comeback that she gets uh, at the beginning of Series Nine. Hmm. She's really, really properly good. And at the end of Series Nine. Oh, okay. I'd forgotten yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is Claire Higgins, who's like six-time Olivier Award winner, and she's sort of. You know, for stuff like Phaedra and Hecuba, like she can dash off Greek. And I've, I've seen, I've seen her in the theatre doing this stuff, and it's just, it's all that Greek. You know, you'll know mm. all this, Nathan, as a classicist. You know, like it's like it's it's a whole different world, and they just have to manifest 
just like massively elemental, you know, t- titan forms of acting. Yeah. And so this for her is just like dusting off brush, you know, cutting off a little slice, a little shaving of, of that kind of talent for us. But it, of course, what it does, it gives this enormous weight because, mm-hmm. you, you know, she brings all of that to it. So she's just amazing. And it's crucially somebody who Paul would very, like, would really relish playing against and clearly does. So she's amazing. Yeah, she really, she really is. And and she does get hefty dialogue. You know, there's a, a lot of exposition, but it's really elevated in its tone. And the stakes are so high. I mean, it's an episode where she has to convince the doctor to abandon his principles in order to fight a war that is destroying the whole universe. That line, her line about Cass, you know, uh, the doctor says Cass wanted to see the universe and she says she didn't miss much. It's very nearly over. It's so good and she delivers it so well. Mm. Exactly that. It's like, this is like, oh, that, you know, she's like, it's already gone. You missed it, love. Yeah. It's just like blink of an eye stuff. You know, like, and, yeah. you, know, you know, it's Brilliant. kind of an example of what – at the time, a lot of fans accused Moffat of overcasting. And, you know, if you think of Olivia Coleman in The Eleventh Hour or Annette Crosby in The Eleventh Hour and interviews at the time, Stephen Moffat sort of has an apologetic tone about getting these big actors. But since leaving the role of executive producer, when he's asked about it, he's like, no, you know, for a long time I thought, yeah, I wasted them. And then I thought, no. No, I didn't waste them. I got in a great actor who put in massive impact into a small part of the episode and they they enjoyed doing it. We enjoyed having them. He's, he's like, you know, you don't have to give the big actor a big role. And he's like, even, you know, you give a less experienced actor a big role and let them shine in it as well. And Cass is played by Emma Campbell-Jones and I'm sure I've seen her in other things, but I can't remember what. And even then, you know, she's got a handful of lines and... Stephen Moffat knows how to make her immediately companion material yeah. because she kept her head and saved everyone else because she was the only person who wasn't screaming. Yeah. And so Welcome Aboard is the Doctor welcoming yeah. welcoming her onto the TARDIS as, uh, as a new companion. Yeah. But she's also the indication that the Doctor Who universe is now broken yeah. because she says absolutely not to going on this adventure. Everyone else goes, oh, oh my God, you're this you're this magical Time Lord with a box that's bigger on the inside than the outside. She finds those two things out and she's like, absolutely not. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that thing's a cliche, isn't it? That, that everyone has to say it's bigger on the inside than the outside and that's a source of wonder. And for her, it's a source of horror, like Moffat makes it the thing. When she hears him say that, that's the thing that causes her to reject him and slam the door between them. And I think that's a really, really good subversion of Mm. that. Yeah, he even says, as he sort of pulls a hand in hand, he goes, oh, come on, you know, like, like, come aboard, you'll love it. Instantly, he's just like, oh, they all do. You know, it's just like... I think, too, this is a week where we get to see a bit more of the time war than we ever had. And here we get to hear about it. It's the background to this story and both Cass and O'Hila tell us about it. And one of the things that I think is inevitable this week, if we're going to see the time war, it needs to be... It needs to be kind of made visible. And and whenever Russell describes the 
the Time War in dialogue. He does it in a really sort of strange poetic way and things happen that you can't even picture yeah, or understand. It's intangible. It's, yeah. it's amorphous. Yeah, it's certainly mm. incomprehensible. And what Moffat does is he really kind of just brings it down to the sort of horrible space guns thing. You know, the Time Lords have just been, you know, they've been brought so low that they're just sort of firing big guns at people and that sort of thing. And, like, I think you lose something. I love Russell's version of the Time War, but I think that Moffat has to make the change. And, of course, the other thing that he dumps, uh, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow, is the idea that the Time Lords were evil and as evil as the Daleks. You know, this is a conflict, but we're meant to think that Cass is mistaken about the Doctor. But in The End of Time Part 1 and 2, the Time Lords are a worse threat than the Daleks because they want to kill everyone, essentially, mm. at this point. Apparently, this was all shot in sort of very, very much secrecy. I think it was maybe a two-day shoot, possibly even a one. And so, you know, Paul McGann was whisked off to Cardiff with a code name for the production turned up. And and he's like, there was no costume fitting. They just had the costume there. Somehow they had my measurements. I don't know how that happened, but... Just small. Just just very small. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, like the the first um the first Doctor Who convention I went to with Rod, it was Davison, Colin Baker, Sylve, and McGann, and um, Rob was like, oh well, you know, I knew I knew Peter and Colin were tall, and I knew Sylve was short. He's like, I didn't know Paul was short. They hid that in the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in an interview uh, when he was talking about his costume, uh, Paul said that his one of his brothers. He says, my brother reckoned I looked like Frodo. <laughs> He's not wrong. No, the slightly, slightly shaggy hair and the little waistcoat. I mean, it's a vast improvement, isn't it? The the telly movie has the Doctor's look being like something Americans would have enjoyed more than we would. I think. Hmm. I think the costume is not good in the movie, and obviously that wig. Uh, I mean, he would just not have come back, would he? If he'd been forced to wear that wig again. That was just never. That was part happen. of his um, contract, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no wigs <laughs> into all his contracts. Yeah. So he's, I mean, I think he looks really good and he looks, you know, like he's mm. aged well, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 I mean, he's 54 in this. Um, and that's, that's a good look. I mean, he's, Paul is a really bloody handsome man. If you see him in Withnall, especially the last, there's like a last shot where he goes, he's, he's all sort of smartened himself off to go and sell out and all this kind of stuff. And there's just a side profile of him when he puts on this fedora hat. And you just really see he's a beautiful man. I mean, he's a really, really good looking man. And he's aged incredibly well. Yeah. And I've seen him at 61 or two as he is now. And he's still, he's a fine looking man. Mm. No two ways about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and and he does come back this week again. Is he briefly in the Five-ish Doctors reboot? Yes, he is. So this thing that we're about to experience this kind of week or so of Doctor Who literally has every living Doctor involved, doesn't it? Mm. 
it's very generous, I think. There's something really warm about it. And I think, you know, if you tried to shovel everyone into the same 70-minute special, it would have been just intolerable. But instead, just having a huge week of exciting Doctor Who things happen where everyone gets to, you know, do their party piece at, at some point is pretty great. Yeah, that's that's exactly it because, you know, in in the special itself, you're going to have Matt and David and eventually Tom at the end yeah. and, jo- and John Hurt. You've got Paul doing this. You've got Sylv, Colin and Pete doing the Five-ish Doctors reboot. And even at the time, Eccleston gave an interview saying, I wish everyone really well. I was offered it. I declined. But, you know, it was all very respectful and there's no animosity and I hope it all goes well. So even though Eccleston didn't contribute to any of the stories, he... he it said, yep, they're in them and I'm really glad it's happening and I was asked. I also think there's something terrifically generous about giving Paul's Doctor a regeneration scene and some final words and all of that. And it is it just reminds you that Moffat is just a full-on fan, you know, like mm. just a Doctor Who fan. And that that gap mattered. I think, and you know, in the in the day of the Doctor, we'll get John Hurt to Christopher Eccleston, sort of regenerating as well. So he's filling in those gaps as part of this bigger project of kind of reclaiming classic Doctor Who and making it, you know, putting it on the same footing as the new show. And so we ended last season with little appearances from all of the Doctors. We will end the special with a a big shot with all 12 of them. We're going to get Gallifrey back properly. All of those things are happening in order to kind of, in order to heal that gap, I think. And I think that's a really generous project to suddenly imbue this show, which is at this point in its sort of eighth or ninth year, to give it an additional giant backstory that is really properly part of it, you know, and and the other way around, you know, to celebrate what brought us here, including the first 26 years of the program. I think it's really tremendous. Yeah, and I think the fact that there's so so much, like this is it's six minutes and 50 seconds long, you know, that's so short, but it does so much in a tiny spot. Like exactly as you said, he just gives us those things we need. A, seeing Paul McGann and the Eighth Doctor, seeing that regeneration, tying it all up, you know, with some stuff with the time war there, with this sort of shorthand, exactly the right shorthand of the science magic stuff of Time Lords and and the Sisterhood. It's in, like I think it's it's really good. I think this is one of his best stories and best scripts. I honestly do, because it's very concise. There's there are, there is humour in there, but there isn't time for too much trickery and and stuff. It's 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 taking it seriously, yeah, but it's still fun. Yeah, you know, that's that's great. And I think for some people, this is one of their, I mean, some people have said that the Five-ish Doctors reboot is was their favourite anniversary thing. And I think for some people, this would have been, and probably still is, their favourite mm. bit when they think back to the anniversary. I think some people's minds go to this. Um, and I think what you're saying, Nathan, is right. I think they were very generous. And I think whatever your, wherever you are in the series, there is something for you in that week. Mm. Mm. You know, there really is. And on that as well, Conrad, with, you know, there's something that can be a favourite for everyone. Well, something Doctor Who fans love doing is ranking things. <laughs> Sorry, what did you that, say? 
ranking, <laughs> ranking with an R. But you know, so it's like, oh well, is Day of the Doctor first, or is Night of the Doctor first, or is the Five-ish Doctors reboot first? And I think maybe we found the purpose of the last day. So everyone can put that at the things. bottom. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I ha- I have heard a rumor somewhere that the last day was concocted between the Night of the Doctor being released early because of the leak and the anniversary special because they're like, we need to put out something as part of the promotional strategy. Let's get some actors in. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that was always planned or what, but um, that could certainly have been true. Um, Something I find so interesting about this is, of course, after the telemovie, there were approximately um, uh, 75 different continuities for the Eighth Doctor. Um, <laughs> so there was the Radio Times comic strip, the Doctor Who magazine comic strip, the BBC books, and Big Finish. Yeah. And this story basically decides, yeah, Big Finish is the one that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now that that was a moment, wasn't yeah. it? That 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 was one of the biggest things that came out of it. It was just like, oh wait, we're doing that now, aren't we? Mm. And it's I, I was trying to look back at how many times they've done it, and you know, we're going to have to use the c word. We have to talk about canon. Like yeah. you can't get through this. <laughs> yeah, I try as you might. It's a made-up television program by stressed-out writers just trying to put a kids show out every so often. It's you know, um, so but like you know, it's it, it, that was a huge part of. Of, of what you heard about it. And I think like you've got to remember at the time because it's so, I think another thing the 50s did was like it really, we, we all got used to through the merchandise and the publicity, we all got used to seeing all the doctors in a row. Yeah. And when we just totally assume now, you know, we're used to seeing our, the lineup. But at the time, I mean, in it was only in 2007 that the new series acknowledged the eighth doctor when they put him in that um, journal, journal of impossible yeah. things of human nature. Yeah. And I remember at the time, it was a huge, oh my God, okay, that does mean he actually exists. We are talking about the TV movie now. It's like, because we forget this now, mm. but actually at the time, the Paul McGann doesn't count thing was real. Yeah, totally. It's in Queer as Folk. You remember that, um, That's yeah, Vince. Mm. The whole plot hinges on that Paul McGann doesn't count. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. It nearly does, actually. I think uh, <laughs> it's very close to the reason why he breaks up with Peter O'Brien, I think. Um so that is a thing, isn't it? And so what they've done, because that Doctor had so little television and because he couldn't reflect back on an era, which is sometimes the thing that we do before a regeneration happens, we talk about the version of Doctor Who that McGann himself was involved in. So McGann doesn't act in the books or the comic strips, his images there, but the thing that he actually produced. And so the companions that he had actually acted with before get name-checked. And I think that's, again, there there has sometimes been a sort of defensiveness around Big Finish. You know, Big Finish wasn't allowed to touch new series concepts for a while and, and there were all kinds of rules about making sure that – it didn't kind of damage the brand or do anything to the brand. And here we have the parent show actually reaching out and including Big Finish into its uh, into its kind of orbit. And I think I really I think that's a really generous thing. Again, it is one of the um, most significant things that Moffat does as showrunner is not just 
canonize Big Finish in the main show, he also loosens the yeah the the, the hold that the BBC has on the license for the new series, yeah. which is has you know whatever you think of some of those new series box sets has been a good thing for the show. Mm. River song snogging Colin Baker. I'm here for it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I am. <laughs> because it actually works. Like, you think it won't work, and it really does. <laughs> also, I think it was during that week... Well, within a week or two, Doctor Who magazine had a 50th, you know, had a party for the 50th anniversary. And I remember I was at the bar and this thing had just aired, I think. I think it might have been been between Night of the Doctor and Day of the Doctor, but it was certainly in that week. And I was chatting to somebody at the bar and you know what rumours are like going around and that had just happened. So people were coming up to me going, oh, look, you're canon, you're canon, which is very alarming. (laughs) I I went to see a 3D screening of Day of the Doctor because they released it at the cinema and I thought, you know what, I'd like to go and see it in 3D. And I was just sitting in this darkened room and sort of people were shuffling to the seats for me somebody I don't know why hissed at me in the dark you're canon which is very alarming in a a darkened cinema that's an alarming thing in Brighton that's an alarming thing to hiss anybody Um, but so but but, you know people so people were coming up to at the bar and I was like oh my god you know this is this is fun so we're chatting about it somebody said oh yeah 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 no Paul wanted to do that and I was like Hmm, okay. Um, and there were just different rumours going around about how it came about. So I thought, I'd had a couple, and I still thought, well, Moffat's on the other side of the room. I'm going to go and ask. <laughs> yeah. So I just walked, so just walked on the side of the room. Right, this is my moment. So I walked to the other side of the room. I tapped on the shoulder and said, oh, hi. Um, so you did this Night of the Doctor thing, and you, like, you named loads of big Finnish companions, and like I was one of them. Like, how, how did that come about? Like, what, what, you know, yeah, how did that come about? And he just said, because we're very nice. <laughs> exactly like that. Exactly like that. And I... Uh, he really is an easy. Ben, That's thanks awesome. very much. Never changed. What was that? I missed that. He's not really very nice. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, he said it in a... He said it, in a, he said it exactly like that. Yeah. So I just walked back to the bar and we'll never know. So there you go. There's an exclusive. <laughs> I, I, I always promised Nathan I'd like to come on with like a half-baked sort of peripheral showbiz story. <laughs> and that was that one. That's, that's the one for this episode. So yeah, I think the other significant thing it's worth saying is that uh, the name, like Kerry is that name, which is like, you know, plagued with apostrophes and Zs all over the place. Um, it was originally called Chris, K-R-I-Z, until it was pointed out that Chris is the name of the dying insect mutt from the brain ah. of Morbius. <laughs> there we go. Those sisterhoods, there's magic in this brew, I tell you. It's all, it, all, it all ties back to the brain of Morbius. There you go. Bit of trivia. We are sitting here with a Charlie Day conspiracy wall with a picture of Joe Martin (laughs) and George Galancio and Philip Hinchcliffe in a funny wig and and a healer and a heeker, same person. (laughs) And actually, there is a a moment in it when uh, when the Doctor says that sees a healer and he looks at it and goes, is that you? Every time I rewatch it, I always think it's specifically, basically what I'm saying is that's Oheka. That is full on Oheka. That is absolutely her. I know he says, Oh, the sisterhood. But there's something in that moment that I've just decided that is uh, whatever. And here's another thing that I can't quite figure out. The other thing, of course, that Moffat knows about Brain and Morbius is that planes get the planes, spaceships crash. Yeah. You know, the Sargasso Sea sort of thing. And I sort of, so I think in the Brain and Morbius, it was the sisterhood bringing those 
down to, to to like making them crash to stop people stealing the elixir or something. I don't know. I just couldn't remember who who was doing that. And in this story, I was like, why did it cr- of all the places to crash? <laughs> like, is that a, are we supposed to think that's a coincidence, or are they bringing the ship down to get the doctor there? I don't know because because. I mean, this is just going into this is this is why it's a great choice to do something like this because it precisely does this to yeah. us. It turns us all <laughs> insane. But like, um, you know, the, but just just taking the story on face value, you know, I think she says, uh, "Oh, you know, we all knew in our bones that one day he would return." So it doesn't sound like no. it was them, which makes you wonder. And Robert Holmes loved to do this in all this, you know, in Three Doctors, Brain of Morbius. Two Doctors, Mysterious Planet. He always loved to have the Time Lords placing the Doctor. Mm. You know, he does it at the start of the Brain of Morbius. He's coming out raging that, that the Time Lords have put him there. So there you go. There's a there's a conspiracy thing there. But like, just in terms of if, we, if we're going to play Doctor Who is real, like, <laughs> like, like, well, it, it, well is it, Isn't it? Yeah, it's completely real. I'm here, James. I'm here. It's all fine. So there we go. That's my that's my thing. I don't know. So I basically I'm having it in my head. I think the Time Lords crashed him there so that the sisterhood could, could fix him mm. and then put do all I don't know mm. that does that even make sense who knows it, it, it actually does it may it may have been Cardinal Alistra played by Jacqueline Pierce yes who I've never heard of Big Finish mm. makes a big deal out of that and you know you see later in series 9 that they have been working together mm. I think the recreation of Khan that this episode does and it's got just one set and one kind of matte painting i think it's it looks really great like it's yeah. the same coloring and stuff i mean the great thing about brain of morbius is it looks like a bbc season of shakespeare production like there's <laughs> really no attempt to make the sets look realistic at all and that's fine i think it really works for the story but just the coloring that that exterior you know, the exterior of the planet and just the general kind of feel of it. It's um, taking something that was a little bit low rent and a little bit low effort and making it properly epic just for a couple of seconds. Mm. I love how fake that looks. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so good. It's so great. I love it. I, I mean, I bought it hook, line and sinker when I was a kid. I still bought it now. So it's, it's, I did see, I did, I was looking online at just trying to look at, like, look at Paul's costume. And I found there was a, there was, it was obviously some Doctor Who, Doctor Exhibition. I don't know if it was the Doctor Experience or what, but there is a picture of McGann's Night of the Doctor costume next to what looks like Claire Higgins' O'Hila costume, but with one vital difference. She's wearing a hat. And I'm not just uh, talking a hat. I'm talking the hat. The Marin full <gasps> oh, on the FT you described as the Victoria Sponge Cake number. <laughs> I mean I can put it I can put it in the chat here, but I don't know if that's gonna mess things up. I don't know. But um but there's a picture of that on there and I'm trying to look like did you make that specially or have you just put the, have you still got the original one on there? I'm choosing to believe that Claire Higgins saw that and caused an almighty <laughs> stink and demanded that on no way in hell was she wearing that. <laughs> Went completely postal. You know, the trailer was, the Winnebago was shaking with fear, the windows blew out as she unle- unleashed all this elemental fury that she wasn't wearing that hat. That's my story. I'm choosing to believe it. But yeah. So there you go. The mystery of the hat. <laughs> Maybe the set was so small that they they couldn't she couldn't yeah, wear the hat without shooting up. off the set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is fine. I will send a photograph of it. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's one one for the show notes. 
I think also another thing worth mentioning is the actual just about the how the regeneration happens because it is exactly that science and magic thing, and I think it's perfect. I think I think it's. I think it's exactly the right mix to do. And also it slightly gives you that, you know, in the TV movie, he had that whole Frankenstein sequence. It all has, which is, I think is appropriate because it is this kind of unnatural, you know, quite like thematically. And it is this sort of unnaturally extended life that regeneration is. So I think Frankenstein is a good callback there. And here, you know, he gets the, you know, the smoking. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a magic potion. In the palace. <laughs> yeah. A magic potion, yeah. which another, here's another thing. Ahila says, "Oh, I made. What's it? I, t- I took the liberty of preparing it myself. Like, so she, so she might not have brought him there, but when she was like doing the potions, it suggests that she knew this had to happen. Yeah. This is the one she wanted to make him happen, and like he has to drink this. Like, he's this is the one he's got to drink. So, so Moffat, Moffat, um, later, um, admitted that he had written that as it was actually just sugar, or you know, it was like it was nothing <laughs> yeah, fake." Real. Um, she just convinced the doctor he needed to be a warrior. Yeah, he says lemonade and dry ice. He says <laughs> lemonade thing, which is is the sort of thing I'm so glad he put in the book and not in the TV. Yeah. That, that's exactly the thing he could have put in the TV show, which is luckily absent from this. Yeah, six yeah. minutes. Yeah. From it, when um, you were talking just now about the regeneration in in the movie, I remember Clayton Hickman talking about that on a documentary, kind of going, you know, Silver's sitting there doing all the facial expressions, you know, and his mouth is trying to eat his own chin and what have you. And then you fade it into Paul, who's just very slightly moving his cheek muscles going, oh, must I? <laughs> now flash forward 17 years and McGann is perfectly comfortable going, ah, 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 ah. I'll put it in later in, in post. It's fine. You know. <laughs> but it's funny, I share, because I can't see, because I've spent weeks, you know, locked in a room with Paul McGann, you know, like watching him act. And so it's interesting. I can't, I know he's good and I can see he's really good, but I know how he's good. I can see which lines, like the knitting one, he, like the lines he's less keen on, he'll throw away. Mm-hmm. I can see which, I, I can I can see what he's, I, can, I know what he's doing at, at every moment. I, you see I, which I, muscles he's using. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, he's being operated from the back. <laughs> So I showed it to my partner last night who had seen it before back in the day and just said, can you just look at this objectively and tell me what you think of it? And and I particularly wanted like, what do you think of him? And he, you know, he just watched it through and just said like, he's really good. He goes, in the first thing he said, he goes, he's very gentle. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. He goes, yeah, he's very quiet. And I was like, oh, okay. He went, not like these two. And he just pointed to the TV, which just had the still of Tennant and Smith on there. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's interesting, actually, because, you know, he's he's an, he's an interesting doctor because he's, he's very different to all the others. Like he was probably, I mean, no, Davison wasn't a character actor, but typically Doctor Who had been a, mm. a character actor. And he absolutely isn't. He's a I don't know what do you call him, but the perception of Paul, I think, especially with fans, and I think it's why he's partly so loved by fans. He's got this kind of credibility. He's got this cool about him. He's sort of like not one of us. He's he's not that crazy grandfather figure. He's he's quite cool, mm. you know, mm. incredible. But he's but he's really good. I think that's worth saying. Like he is, and he's really good in this. Mm. I think he does. I think he does a really good job, and I think it's why he's sort of liked so much. Also, he has the advantage of, or not the advantage, but not having had much screen time, we can all just project everything we like yeah. on him. Yes. Because he's hardly, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, whatever you think of the TV movie, we've never actually seen him sort of tank in something or try desperately to salvage something from terrible material or anything. 
So and also and this bit I don't know. Like I think I think um, if I've got this right, that like Plan A for the anniversary, which it was going to be presumably in an ideal world, Eccleston, Tennant, and Smith. I'm guessing. So uh, Eccleston's out of the equation. I don't know if this is true or not, but there was some there was the sort of common thing is like they wanted to have Paul instead as the War Doctor, but the BBC didn't feel he was big enough, or did they just wanted a big or different star? So that's how they got John Hurt. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I think either way, if they, even if they had had Eccleston, like Night of the Doctor would have absolutely happened in an ideal world. You'd have yes, uh, all McGann of the regenerating into yeah. Eccleston. I think. I remember when we first saw John Hurt at the end of Name of the Doctor, and I thought that one of the things that we lose is the idea that one of our doctors, you know, one of the doctors that we've watched on TV and loved did this terrible thing. And instead it becomes a a person that we've never heard of who did that. And I think... Like, I think it works, and again, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. I think that John Hurt plays an important role. He brings something to the role that wouldn't have been available to Eccleston, I think. But I do think that sort of dissociation, it's a little bit of a shame. And clearly Moffat, you know, Moffat loves Russell's Doctor Who. It's very, very clear. And he constantly picks up on running gags that that Russell's introduced or plays with things that that Russell hasn't had the chance to kind of pick up on again. Queen Elizabeth I don't the think, First. Well, Queen Elizabeth I, I'm thinking the, the fact that nothing interesting happened this year, this Christmas in London, as far as the Doctor remembers, except that there was a giant cyber king stomping <laughs> all over the place, you know, like. So there have been things that, that he picks up on, but I don't think that he likes what the Doctor does. Like making the Doctor kill all of the Time Lords is something that double, he Double thinks, genocide. Yeah, he yep. thinks that that was a bad call, I think. And and so, so I think part of the motivation for kind of healing that rift this week is because he doesn't think the Doctor would have made that decision. And so he uses his power as showrunner to make sure that he, he didn't. <laughs> for now. We'll be back tomorrow to celebrate Doctor Who's 50th and 59th birthdays at the same time with two episodes of Flight Through Entirety on the day of the Doctor. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can keep up with us at Flight Through Entirety on Facebook, at FDE Podcast on Twitter and on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our other podcasts, Bondfinger, Jody Into Terror, Maximum Power and Untitled Star Trek Project. Until next time, remember sitting at the front of the plane in the event of a crash means that you die several seconds earlier, which is more than made up for by the additional leg room. Thank you very much for listening and good night. Good night. Ta-ta. Good night. That 
was Flight Through Entirety, starring Nathan Bottomley, Brandon Jones, James Selwood and Conrad Westmus. Theme arrangements by Cameron Lamb. This episode, not like these two, was recorded on the 23rd of July 2022 and released on the 22nd of November. We'll see you tomorrow, of course, but in the meantime, don't forget to tune in to Disney Plus on the 22nd of November 2033 for the 70th anniversary prequel in which Jodie Whittaker returns unexpectedly to prevent Prime Minister for Life Rishi Sunak from crashing Starship UK into the heart of the sun. I don't know where I'm going with that. Now that it's been finished. <laughs> Cut that. Cut that. <laughs> Sorry. Everyone's got a Time War series now. Susan has a Time War series now. Wow, is, is there the War Susan? There's the yeah, War Susan. It's called Susan's with the war, war. The War Susan. Su- Susan's War, and she goes to enlist the help of the Censorites. Of course she does. I'm not joking. <laughs> He's not. That's a, that's, a, that's a real genuine box set, and at this stage it's likely to be uh, William Russell's last contribution to Doctor Who. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the War Susan. The war what Susan. do you think about that? <laughs> 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 the uh, who, who plays the war, Susan? Oh, it's still Carol Ann Ford. No, yeah. you have to get some big actor the who's Susan. agent doesn't know the <laughs> meaning of the word no. I, it's always that thing with it's like John Hurt. It's like he was a <laughs> cartoon dragon on Merlin every Sunday night. Like it, yes. it's not that big a coup. He'll do anything. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like John, <laughs> John Hurt said about doing Doctor Who, he said, the weird thing about acting is the more successful you are, the less people think you will do. Yeah. When he's okay. like, if I'm interested in the project and I'm, you're going to pay me because I need to eat – of course I'll do it, you know, but but he's like, you know, you, you win a couple of awards and suddenly people think, oh, no, you don't want to do this thing. No, I, I, I want to have fun. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be really good in it. We just see a tiny reflection of him in the Yeah, goblet, which, which I think is taken from an I, Claudius or from Crime a BBC punishment. Shakespeare. Crime oh, Crime and Punishment. I beg your pardon. Thank you. Um, it, it's Paul McGann's hand, though, apparently. So it's still Paul McGann. He's just regenerated from the neck up, apparently. Mm, mm, <laughs> It also says, also available for hand modeling. (laughs) (laughs) And the end end credits. Is is that that true? Um, Do you know that from personal experience? That sounds a bit wrong. (laughs) That sounds really wrong. I cut all of your lines out. I'm not even in this episode, Conrad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. Cut Cut to the test card. Just cut to the test card.